0: Welcome to the archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. The wonders and the exploration of the Central American rainforest is the topic of this archive edition of Radio Curious. On the eastern slope of the Continental Divide, about an hour's drive east of San Jose, Costa Rica, is the Rainforest Aerial Tram a tramway that travels through, above, and below the rainforest canopy. The rainforest canopy is home to more diverse forms of flora and fauna than anywhere else in the known universe. Rodolfo Gomez, trained as an architect, has found his calling as a tour guide in Central America and specifically Costa Rica. In April of 1995, when this program was recorded, my daughter Molly and I met with Rodolfo in the rainforest near the aerial tram. We talked with Rodolfo as we walked through the rainforest and part of the canopy. Part of the time as background to this program, you'll hear the rainforest and the thunder and the rain in the background. We began when Rodolfo described the rainforest and its importance.
1: Well, as uh, you may know, uh, this is the rainforest. The rainforest is a very, very unique uh, type of vegetation that we have in the planet, normally located on a very narrow belt on both sides of the equator. You know that on this very narrow band that we have around the planet on both sides of the equator, we had the rainiest uh, countries in the planet, normally with about eight to nine months of rain a year. Costa Rica is one of those very rainy countries located at 10 degrees north of the equator. Costa Rica is in Central America you know north of Panama south of Nicaragua we are part of Central America and Costa Rica is very well known worldwide for the very important efforts that we've been able to do in order to preserve nature in general and specifically the rainforest this type of vegetation that we have around at the moment Costa Rica has been able to preserve up to 27 percent of our territory. That means over one fourth of Costa Rica is protected in different uh, categories of management, mostly national parks, biological reserves, wildlife refuges, and also private reserve. This. The aerial tram is a private reserve, is privately owned. Mm-hmm. Over here they protect 450 hectares of tropical rainforest, and they have sections of primary forest which is forest that is totally virgin, that has never ever been touched or altered by human hand.
0: What do you oh, see, mommy? Oh, we
1: have a bumblebee. That's a big, big bumblebee see it oh yeah down there bees as you know uh, the, you don't have to be afraid of, of bees bees are very important pollinators you know they go from flor- flower to flower and they they pick up a little bit of pollen from one flower and they uh, touch another flower and that, that other flower is going to be pollinated that way very very important creatures for Port- these very important migrations of of species, which means that the diversity of of, uh, plants and animals we have here is very, very high. Just talking about birds, in this country we have about 850 different species of birds. A frog. A frog. Where do you see a a frog?
0: Oh, yeah.
1: One tiny, tiny frog country that is about the same size as West Virginia is an enormous variety of birds. We have more species of birds in Costa Rica, such a tiny country, than all the birds you have in the United States and Canada and Alaska all together. Really? Huh? Because our birds are not exposed to the very severe winter that normally you have uh, farther up north. What's
0: the number? You said 850? 850
1: more or less. Yes. This is one of my very favorite plants in the rainforest. This is known as a walking palm. You know that palms are always looking for the light, same as most of the plants in the rainforest. So this palm has developed the ability of actually walking towards the light. Let's say that we have this palm here, but this palm knows that the light gap is closer to the left-hand side. So this palm will start growing roots towards the left-hand side, and some of the roots on the right-hand side will start to die. That will allow the palm to transfer her weight gradually to the right-hand side, and uh, as she does this, she would get closer To the light gap, which is exactly what she wants, and that happens in a very short period of of time. Uh, Could be, um, I don't know, maybe uh, 20 centimeters in about three or four years, which is very fast. So, I always found uh, the walking palms like you know, fascinating creatures because normally we tend to think that there's no intelligence in plants, but you really have to have a very complex uh, uh, system to let you take this kind of decision. Should I move to the right-hand side or should I move to the left-hand side? And what, what am I supposed to do if I want to move to the right-hand side? So it really shows there may be a little brain out there. Who knows? we got some of those in the children's rainforest, didn't we? Mm-hmm. I think
0: so. And it looks like it's wearing a skirt.
1: Those are stilt roots. Yeah. And stilt roots. Yeah. Most of the land that Costa Rica has protected has been protected with the economic help of developed nations because this is a poor country. We don't have the money to buy all this. And I'm telling you that 27% of Costa Rica has been bought to be protected. Well, that is a lot of money. So that money normally comes from international donations from organizations like Nature, Nature Conservancy, World Wildlife Fund, Audubon Society, private donations like you know the Gettys and the Rockefellers. And, so it is very important. And nowadays we have discovered a very interesting way to exchange conservation for the foreign debt, which is very nice because we know that in developed countries you have the money, but we have the rainforest. So we have gotten to this agreement in which Costa Rica commits every year to preserve, I don't know, so many hundreds of hectares of primary virgin rainforest, and then certain amount of money is deducted from the foreign debt, which is wonderful because we owe you a lot of money and we are trying to pay, of course. But we have the feeling that in developed countries there is already the awareness of uh, conservation of helping poor countries protect the rainforest because we in Latin America have the enormous responsibility of protecting the last patches of rainforest left in this part of the world but how can you protect the rainforest if your population is a starving. Why Brazil hasn't been so successful with conservation? Well, you cannot tell your people, don't cut the rainforest if your people is a starving. You have to solve your social problems first, feed your people, educate your people, cover their basic needs, and then we can talk about conservation, not before.
0: So then how does a country like Brazil
1: do that? Unfortunately, Brazil is the typical Latin American country with 90% of the wealth concentrated in 5% of the population. That's true in the United States also. Well, that is a model that is not really working very well as far as I know in Latin America, which nor, is a situation that, that I, I know better. In Costa Rica, we've been able to manage a much better distribution of wealth which has helped our social and political peace because that way we don't have to handle the enormous pressure of the social resentment that starts to fight against you and that way we've been able to preserve more and more of the rainforest that's why we're totally convinced that to be able to preserve nature you have to solve the basic needs of your people first Otherwise, it won't work.
0: When you say Latin America doesn't want to distribute that wealth, do you think that that's Latin America? Or Latin
1: America, because the stereotype of Latin America is concentrated wealth and masses of poverty.
0: Now, does that influence come from Latin America or is it more of um, a European, uh, North American influence? No, in, in uh, we
1: have the feeling that that influence comes from the Spanish mentality. Remember Latin America is a subcontinent in America integrated by those countries that were conquered by the Spanish and the Portuguese, basically. And unfortunately, most of those Spaniards, in our case, who came from uh, to Latin America, they came here to exploit and to take advantage of things. They did not come here with a mentality of establishing and of creating a new country. That's why we have the model that we have in this part of the world. You know, remember that in this part of the world, uh, actually the status of the people is well marked by the color of your skin, which is not the case in Costa Rica, fortunately, because in our country we have a different ethnic background, but you know how it is in South America. If you're short and dark, you're going to be poor and miserable for the rest of your life. If you're white and beautiful, you're going to be powerful and successful, uh, which we consider very bad. But uh, fortunately, our situation is a little bit better, although we have had concentration of wealth in the last six or seven years. I, I, I'm totally sure about that. Your leaves are like heart shaped. Yeah. yeah oh look at the tiny tiny heart shaped leaves. What are those leaves called, do we know? Heart leaves? No, I have no <laughs> idea, but uh it seems to me no no idea. Maybe maybe a type of moss. Could be a type of moss, but I'm not totally sure. Yep.
0: What I'm curious about is the difference between this forest where we're walking now on the path. In the forest where we were walking before, off the path, looking for uh, the wild cacao and the quetzal bird.
1: No, I guess that there is no difference because it's very nearby. It's it's the same live zone. It has the same characteristics of temperature, rainfall, elevation, composition of soil. So I'm sure that there's no major difference between this forest and the one we saw before.
0: Let me take a moment and... Remind you that our guest this week is Rodolfo Gomez, an architect-turned-tour-guide. Rodolfo and my daughter Molly, who's 10 years old, and I are walking through the rainforest about an hour east of San Jose, Costa Rica, talking about the wonders of the rainforest. You're listening to Radio Curious. My name is Barry Vogel.
1: Um. You see that in the forest, there's uh, very little light. So most plants should compete very much for the light. That's why you have the big amount of epiphytes that we were talking about. You see, for example, the philodendron, how it uh, grows on the top of the trees to get closer to the light. Because some plants have developed this uh, strategy of why should you invest 300 years developing a huge trunk to get closer to the light if it is easier to grow on the top of a tree that already developed its trunk. So that's why they take advantage of trees that exist already to go up and the canopy. Here you see some interesting stilt roots that are quite common uh, of tall trees that grow on volcanic soil. Remember, this is volcanic soil, which means that maybe one meter down, there is solid volcanic rock. So the roots cannot really go very deep into the ground. So instead, they tend to grow towards the sides. Plus, in volcanic terrain, uh, most of the nutrients you find on the first, maybe 50, 60 centimeters of topsoil. So that's why the roots tend to grow
0: towards the sides. How long does it take in the evolutionary uh, or the biological process uh, to develop a meter of uh, topsoil?
1: Boy, that's, that's very hard to say because soil is formed by many, many different factors. Not, you know, it depends if you have volcanic soil, if you have sediments, if you have limestone. Um, I really couldn't tell you a number, but I know it takes thousands of years, uh, if not millions, to develop the, the topsoil that we see around here. Notice the amount of leaves. Those decomposing leaves are very, very important because they are gonna be recycled in the soil. As soon as they start to decompose, they will you know get attacked by different organisms like uh, mushrooms like fungi centipedes and all kinds of things and eventually it'll they'll integrate to the soil so in the tropics this is very very fast because it is so humid so rainy here that those leaves will disappear very very fast uh, notice this big here it looks like a Ficus. Notice the kind of bell-bottom shape it has. Uh, it is another strategy for tall trees when they grow on non-very deep soil. They develop those kind of uh, buttresses are called to develop more firmness. Like when the water. That's um, right. When the, you flush the, the toilet, or uh, um, when the water goes out of the bathtub. Yes, yes. So it empties uh, counterclockwise in the northern hemisphere, but down in the southern hemisphere, clockwise. I wonder what happens at the equator. It may go straight down, or I don't know. I've never been there. So
0: the same. The effect is the same on these plants. Uh, on the plants that grow up around trees. Up around the trees.
1: In this case, uh, since we are 10 degrees north of the equator, they grow counterclockwise. You can see it here very obviously.
0: We're presenting the same question then at the equator. Would the plants grow straight up? No idea.
1: No one has told me about
0: it, but it would be interesting. Or if the tree to... was grew exactly on the equator?
1: No idea, but it would be very interesting to find out what happens to them. You
0: yeah. know, for the, their houses? What is this palm called? This is uh,
1: a rooster tail. tail. Rooster tail palm is called. Yeah other guy. Uh, it lasts for know. a long time. You know when it when it uh, when it is dry. Yeah. It lasts for a long time without decomposing. Yeah, and the other guy told us it was a fish tail. Well, fish tail, uh, rooster tail. I'm sure it has a scientific name, Latin name. It covers the secondary growth area, which may have about. 15 to 20 years of development. You can tell that basically by the diameter of the trees. (laughs) Is the amount of undergrowth. You see that around here there are more smaller plants and bushes growing than uh, in the primary forest that we were walking before. And there's a little bit more light. Now we cannot tell because it's so cloudy, but normally there's more light I
0: know. in the there secondary forest.
1: The forest, there's more light. There's more light that. than in the primary forest.
0: Mm. I know another
1: reason. Normally, the canopy of the primary forest is almost totally covered, whereas here the trees are not so big. So when it's
0: covered, there is less light available, and the smaller plants are fewer. Cannot grow so profusely
1: like here because there's not that much mm-hmm. light.
0: How else can you tell Molly?
1: Um, well, he said, the other guy said in the secondary forest you can't see through if you look like this. In like, the first yeah. there's one you can see through under the Yeah, rain. it is a little bit easier in the primary forest to walk through the jungle than in the secondary forest. Now look at this very interesting plant. Over here, we have a very typical family of, of the tropics. This plant you can only find in the tropics. It is called Melastomaceae family. It has veins in this direction and also veins in this opposite direction. This is a, a strictly uh, neotropic family. You can only find it in the tropics of America. It has moss on it. So it's yeah? This one. Yeah. In this case, the moss is a parasite, eventually the moss gets to kill the plant. Plus, when the plant gets totally covered by the moss, has no access to the light, so that
0: kills the plant as well. How is it that the banana got here to Costa Rica? The introduction
1: of the banana into our country was closely related to the construction of the railroad. When our president in 1870, Tomás Guardián, decided that we needed to have a port on the Caribbean side to be export all the coffee towards Europe, instead of having to export the coffee by the Pacific Coast and then around the tip of uh, South America and then towards Europe and New York, uh, he hired Mr. Minor Keith. He was a very well-known engineer from the US who had a lot of experience building railroads in California and South America so he came here and he started to build the railroad but maybe 5 years after they had started building the railroad the government ran out of money which is very common here in our country all the time they start something and very soon they run out of money so they had to find a way to finance the accomplishment of the project and uh, since Mr. Keith had built as a first portion of the tracks the section that is very near to the coast and comes like maybe 40 kilometers towards inland. Uh, The government gave him 200 meters of land on each side of of the tracks so he could start growing the bananas. And then he brought the bananas from the Caribbean. Eventually, this business became more profitable for him than the construction of the railroad itself. And eventually, it became into the biggest empire. The United Fruit Company, eventually the Standard Fruit Company, uh, that were actually not expelled from the country, but they had to leave from Costa Rica in the early 1950s because of all the social reforms that took place with the revolution we had in 1948. Because so many rights were given to the workers that all this was too much against the interest and the profits of such a big transnational company like the United Fruit Company, so they left. That's how they got here. Now, which works a lot better for the Costa Ricans. Say that again. That nowadays, a very big uh, percentage of the production of bananas in our country is in hands of Costa Rican cooperatives instead of foreign transnational companies. And uh, the situation works a lot better I would say from the uh, point of view of the Costa Ricans uh, from the interests of the Costa Ricans because you know normally this fern is already developing into an adult fern and then when when, when it's ready to reproduce it would grow some organs underneath the leaves that will produce some spores that are kind of seeds and those spores will be dispersed by the wind they will fall somewhere else those seeds will generate another plant called gametophyte that gametophyte has to grow get mature and eventually produce some other seeds that will produce another adult fern so it's a very very complex way of reproductions what we have uh, with the ferns notice in the center the way the leaves start to develop they are all curled up, and then they start to unroll to form another
0: leaf. Are they uh, edible as fiddleheads?
1: I've heard that uh, they do that in Europe and in in the States and and, and in Canada. I don't know about our ferns here. I have never heard about someone that eats those uh, sprouts or tender leaves. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the fan Uh, palm. The fan palm has this very nice shape hence its name, and is very well known because this is the one they use to make the Panama hats that you know so well. Like the one I'm wearing. That's right. Yes. Sorry. Now, you will notice that uh, very often some of the tender leaves uh, that we see around in the rainforest are red or brownish. This is a special color that creates certain protection against ultraviolet uh, light. As you know, in the tropics, we get very strong light. This is the strongest sun you can get. This is right, it's right up there, it's just vertical. So that affects some plants who have developed this strategy of growing uh, red leaves, Uh, The tender leaves are red, so they they don't get damaged by this ultraviolet light. You can see some of the ferns as well. And as you go higher and higher elevations, this is a lot more obvious. That all those plants, when it rains, they tend to accumulate a lot of water. As you have noticed, uh, a lot of the uh, bromeliads, they have uh, this kind of a tank shape. Look at this. So when it rains, they store a lot of water and that puts on a lot of weight on the tree. And then that makes the tree collapse. But that's the way the forest uh, gets rid of old trees. You know, it's, it's part of the regeneration process. Now with this light gap, some more new plants will start to grow again. It's all dynamic, it never stops. And then this tree will eventually disappear and will uh, become part of the soil as it gets decomposed by all the different organisms. Yep? Are the plants that grow up the tree still alive? Oh yes, they, they, they are still alive, you know, because remember that most of them have the roots on the ground. They just take advantage of a tree uh, as support to get closer to the light, but they get the nutrients from the ground through their roots. With the exception, of the bromeliads because those plants you see all those dying uh, decaying leaves in the center of the plant see those dead leaves will eventually decompose so on the bottom of those leaves there are certain kind of tissues that have adapted to absorb the nutrients from those decaying leaves Uh, and uh, then they mix them with water and all that and that's the way they get uh, the nourishment
0: This interview was recorded in the Costa Rican Rainforest near the Rainforest Aerial Tram about an hour's drive east of San Jose, Costa Rica, with Rodolfo Gomez, trained as an architect, who has found his calling as a tour guide. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website, www.radiocurious.org. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah,